name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Jesse Medina. How are you doing, How's Jesse? it going? Good, yourself? I'm doing fine. A little, uh, I've been roof, roofing all day, so I'm looking and feeling a little rough, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's good to end the day on a high note with some uh, getting, to, getting to chat with you, because I've, uh, I've sort of been aware of, aware of you via kind of, yeah, social media land. Um, gotcha. And uh, but what caught uh, there was a specific conversation that kind of caught my eye, uh, and we'll get into that later. But uh, why don't you tell okay. us a little bit, little bit about yourself? What, um, where are you located? What are you up to? What do you do? Okay, uh, so my name is Jesse Medina. I'm from uh, North Central New Mexico. Uh, let's see, I'm a second generation houndsman. My dad started hunting uh, probably back in the early '80s. And uh, me and my brother kind of uh, really liked this since uh, since we were kids, and mm-hmm. we've been doing it ever since. I think we started hunting. My dad started taking us since we were like three, four years old. As as long as we were old enough to stand up and walk and stuff like that, we've been hunting. So um, I'm a, a, a journeyman, not journeyman lineman, but I'm a lineman right now. That's my mm-hmm. occupation, and I get to try and hunt as much as I possibly can. And uh, I, I do some uh, elk hunts and stuff like that, but uh, my passion is dog hunting. That's that's my passion. You got into the hounds uh, through your dad. Second, so you're a second generation houndsman. What kind of hunting was your dad doing? What kind of hounds was he running? And so, so he primarily ran uh, plots. Uh, he started out with uh, some red ticks and some walkers, and uh, mm-hmm. he um, got fascinated by the plots, and uh, that's how he got kind of got his. I guess you could say his claim to fame. I guess. You could say that, and uh, he primarily hunted bears, but uh, we did hunt bears and lions with with his dogs and stuff like that. But he he loved bear hunting; that was his uh, forte, I guess you could say. Sure, sure. And what what kind of terrain are you guys running in over there? Or is it a lot of dryland stuff? Is it kind of deserty, real dry so we're, terrain? We're, or we're, we're what up? you call in a high desert here, where we're, where hmm. I'm at. We're about seven thousand feet above sea level, sure. and so we got it uh, from actual desert to uh, some high mountains, to some high country. So we got a little bit of everything and, and the weather's just crazy. One minute you could be wearing a jacket and then the next minute you're, you're in a short sleeve. So it's pretty crazy all around weather. That, that's cool. That's cool. Do, are you, when you're hunting bear, for example, are, are they, are they treeing or are they baying them up in cliffs mostly or how, what, uh, what kind of. So over here in New Mexico, from my personal opinion, this is just my personal opinion. Uh, a lot of our bears just like to normally tree. I mean, occasionally you'll get the the, the bears that are um, dog savvy, I guess you could say, and, and they'll walk the dogs all day long and kind of do what they want. Even if you have dogs that put pressure, they kind of still do what they want. But our bears primarily uh, climb up a tree and tree and stuff like that. Okay, gotcha. Are you still uh, are you still running the plots or I, from some of the pictures, I, I couldn't really tell which were your dogs. Uh, it seems like you had kind of a in a lot of the pictures I've seen on your Facebook and uh, got a little bit of a mixed pack. Is that is that the case? Yeah. So not no more. We got away from the plots. Uh, I would say probably 15 years ago around there, give or take a little bit. Um they they were good dogs. They were great dogs. They're amazing bear dogs. But when me and my brother kind of branched off from uh, that line that my dad had, we mm-hmm. wanted a little bit more nose, and they didn't have kind of what we were looking for. So we went and got uh, some red ticks and blue ticks and walkers, and we kind of been breeding those throughout the years and buying some from buddies and stuff like that. So I just have a, a pretty much mixed pack of dogs anymore these days. Gotcha. Was that uh, the desire for more nose? Was that based off of – uh, wanting to run more lion or what? Um... That's exactly, that's exactly where we hmm. kind of headed. Uh, um, back when we kind of uh, transitioned, we'd, uh, we'd hunt before school and then we go to school and then we hunt after school and stuff like that. And, uh, we made a decision me and my brother one day to the next and said, we wanted to catch more lions. And we said, we set a goal for ourselves, uh, one year and we didn't get our goal. I think we had a goal of like, I think we started out pretty small, like 10 lions. 
And uh, I think we caught eight that year. And then uh, it, it just started getting better, but we hunted pretty hard back then, real, real yeah. hard. I think the best year me and my brother had together was uh, uh, 40, 48, 48 lines is what wow, the best year we wow. had. Wow, that's mm-hmm. really yeah. cool. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So your pack now is, um, do you do, is it a mixed blood pack or is it or in the sense that you've got some sort of mixed, um, you know, mixed, mixed breeds in there as well? Or is it a, a pack with? Mixed back with purebreds, basically. Uh, so it's just a it's just a batch of great dogs that um, mm. that my brother's been breeding for a while. He got some dogs from uh, some Amish buddies out of Maryland, and uh, then uh, from some of our buddies in Utah, and then some of the stuff we had over the years and stuff like that. So it's just a a combination of things really that uh, that we kind of prefer. And uh, a lot of a lot of our blood goes back to to uh, to our buddies back in Utah. That's kind of where mainly our blood goes back to. And okay. some uh, some East Coast dogs as well. Really? Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then, the, I, uh, then I got into the Airedale. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that because that was uh, it. Somebody was asking uh, on one of these Facebook pages if anybody still ran Airedales, and it was just like it was just crickets. Like nobody answered, and then suddenly you answered, and actually, you know, not only have you know have Airedales, but you act, you actively use them, which I thought was really, really cool. And I'm a little bit curious as to why, you know, what motivated you to do that and what, what do you use them for? How are they working for? You know, I'm just, I'm really, really interested in that because that is, that's, that's old school. I mean, that's, that's how it used to be done. All right. Yeah. It's, um, so how I got into Airedales, uh, when I was a kid, um, I'm not too sure if you're too familiar with the movie, uh, called, uh, the bear. Oh yeah. Um, it's yeah. With the Airedales in it. Oh, for sure. And, uh, yeah. I was always, I, I thought they were beautiful dogs since I was a kid, since I watched it. And I always told myself I'd, I, I'd own one one day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had a buddy from uh, Kansas that used him to hunt pigs and he came okay. and brought him down here. And, uh, I liked him and I asked him, Hey man, you want to sell me a puppy or something like that? And he actually gave me a female and, uh, he gave me a female and man, she was a darn good dog, really, really good dog. And she caught bears and lions with us and stuff like that. And I liked him ever since. And uh, she uh, passed away and I didn't have Airedales for the longest time. And I tried finding some and you get a lot of rescues in the, in the, in the Airedale world from what I've seen. And it took me quite a few years to, uh, to find a working line of dogs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on Facebook and I just so happened to stumble on uh, uh, Jeff Henry with uh, Rock, uh, Rock Creek Airedales. Mm-hmm. out of uh, Pahusco, Oklahoma. And uh, I messaged him on Facebook and asked him if he had any uh, Airedales for sale. And he got back to me a couple of days later, if I remember correctly. And uh, he said he didn't have anything that he was going to have a litter of pups, but they were pretty much spoken for. And I said, ah, if you want to put me on the list, let me know. And I think a month or two later, he said, well, I've been kind of being nosy on your Facebook page and it seems like you do quite a bit of hunting. And uh, I would like to get a pup to you on this litter if you wanted one. And that's how I got those dogs, and man, I sure enjoy them. And they're they're amazing uh, hmm. uh, partners, I guess you could say. They're 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 a partner for life, man. They do just about anything you want, and and they hunt. They don't got a nose like a hound, though. That's that's about the only thing. But um, I guess I don't need them for for nose wise. I I I like him for looks and for for what uh, if I need to put a little bit of pressure, they'll go they'll get in there and uh, put a hold on a bear if you want them to or not. Right, right, right. Because that's that's. My, you know, my understanding, having read, you know, uh, I read everything I can, but the people who have had the Airedales, especially the lion and the bear hunters that have had Airedales have said that, that, you know, they, right. you know, maybe they, their hounds would do kind of the groundwork and, you know, get, get it on its feet, get it, you know, maybe bait up or at least make contact with it. And then the Airedales would go in and kind of seal the deal a little bit for them. Right. So do yeah, you. Yeah, that, that's kind of not really what i use them for like i really don't use them for pressure but they do get in there and then and, uh, and, and help if they need to put a bite on a barrel and they'll get in there and i mean a lot of people get the misconception from what from what i've known and been around the airedales they i guess they think they're like a pit bull catch dog type of deal sure. and they go in there kind of crazy and uh from what i've seen they don't really go in there but they'll go in there and when opportunity presents itself they'll get in there and pull some hair okay 
Cool. Are do you drop your Airedales together with your hounds? Like at the same time, if you dump the box of the Airedales going out with the hounds, are you are you putting them on later on in races? How is or hunting them just on their own as their own thing? How is that working for you? So um, they'll actually ride on top of the rig box with my hounds, and I'll turn them loose with my hounds. They don't get no special treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they if I turn one loose, they're getting all turned loose all at the same time. Or a strung out in between, you know what I mean? I don't really turn them loose all at one time, but sure, I'll string sure. them out one, two, and then dump the box after that. But uh, I, I don't uh, favor play favoritism with my Airedales or like that. And uh, when I go horseback riding, sometimes just I'll take my Airedales and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. and uh, they'll if they'll uh, find a fresh lion or bear, they'll they'll catch it by themselves. That's really cool. Wow. Wow. How are they in the uh... – because they've got a little bit more coat than – you know, a, a hound would have, how, how do they tolerate the heat? How are they dealing with uh, the conditions you're in? So the condition I'm in, it's, it's like I said, it's, a, it's kind of like a high desert. So it's pretty, sure. pretty hot for him. Um, but um, when I got him from Jeff and, and uh, I did some research and from my buddy in Kansas, uh, as long as you have, if you could get them to water fairly quick or they'll, uh, if you're running something or whatever, and they have, some water in there, you know, to, to hydrate, they hold mm-hmm. up actually really well. Um, I do shave them and, and get them groomed well, at least once a year. So they're not too hot, especially during the summertime, but they, they actually hold up really well, uh, especially in the heat. They'll, if you have like a, a pool, I have, I have a ditch right here in my yard, so they'll go lay in the water and stuff like that. Mm. So they hold up really well. Wow. That's really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. I find the, the, you know, they use terriers a lot. There's a lot of hunting lines of terriers here um, and just kind of in Europe in general, but specifically in in Norway, Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, Great Britain, Ireland, because they still use them as, as den dogs for the very most part. But there's no, to my knowledge, um, they'll use some of those, the slightly larger lines of um, those German yogged terriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll use on some bigger games, you know, boar and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, it seems like the, the bigger terriers, you know, those, the Airedales and, um, you know, some of the bigger like Patterdale terriers can, um, some of the bigger breed lines of border terriers, things like that. Um, they, they don't use them as much as, uh, You'd think that they would. And I wonder why that is. I mean, you, you've you obviously used them, so I feel like you're going to be a, an authority on, you know, what what do they – you've talked a little bit about what they bring to the table. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit curious as to why. Why do you think that not everybody still does it like they all did it 100 years ago and had the Terriers um, as, you know, if nothing else, backup dogs? I remember reading about um, – it was the the miss the Mr. Grizzly Montague Stevens. He always had a terrier with him because it helped him keep contact before radio collars with his uh, his hounds. His terrier would follow the hounds, and he could keep up with the terrier. Right. Um, so from what I've been around terriers and stuff like that, I think the the line that I have specifically, and I'll, I'll go base it off that they're not like the big great ones, and I think the the, the bigger versions are 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 probably a little bit too big and stuff and bulky for what normal people would usually use them for, especially out here in the United States is my guess. I'm not hundred percent sure um, how that would work mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere. I, I imagine on a bigger uh, predator or whatever, uh, you'd probably need a little bit more bulk if they got into a fight or something with a bear or a grizzly, whatever they're going to be chasing out there. But um, from, I'm not too sure why a lot of people don't like them. I'm pretty sure it's just based on a, a Probably more nose, but they're they're absolutely uh, smart animals. They they are super super smart. Um, <laughs> I would even dare to say that they're almost smarter than a hound. To be quite honest with you, they they just catch on everything just so super quick. Um, like the ones I have, they're they're house trained. Yeah, they sleep inside the house at night. Uh, they're not tied up. They're mm-hmm. loose, and um, if they they need to use the bathroom, they'll they'll wake you up and stuff like that. And in hunting, it's just like a light switch goes off for them. Once they hear the callers, that or the truck start, they they just get into hunting mode. 
So I, I that's think so they, cool. that's where they can transition fairly well into that. And but I think mo- most houndsmen don't really know about them or or want to use them just based on their. They don't really got much of a nose on them, but right. uh, they keep up step for step with my hounds pretty much the entire race. Um, I think they help out whenever they get jumped and stuff like that. But they probably don't. They're probably more of a cheerleader, so to speak, when uh, when they're probably cold trailing, just kind of co- a companion dog. But sure. once it gets summers and distance where they can smell, I think they really help out quite a bit. And they're that's like really so they're cool. super intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really that's really interesting. How many of those would you how many of those do you have? So I have I had five and two one got cancer. Uh, that's my buddy's dog. It got cancer. I think I want to say about a month ago and we had to put it down and got cancer pretty bad. Oh, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty unfortunate. He was actually turning into a pretty nice dog. And, uh, being that we have him loose, me and my buddy, we, we have him loose in our yards and, uh, we kind of live in a rural community and she went to the road and got ran over. So we got three right now. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Huh? Interesting. And how are they, you know, how do they... I was talking to Becky Dwyer about sort of pack dynamics here um, a little while ago, and we were talking about how sometimes different breeds of dogs or types of dogs don't necessarily always mesh right away. You know, like combining the huskies and the hounds, we've both done that. Right. Not, you know, not breeding them to each other, but, you know, the sort of in, in terms of pack dynamics, it, it creates um, some challenges that kind of go both ways. How is that with the with the Airedales? Are they just kind of part of the gang or are they, is there a little bit of a different, you know, what would you say? You know, cult, cultural misunderstandings. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes no, wonder if it's something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's a pretty good question. I, I, I've gotten asked that question quite a few times. And um, like I said, I'm just based on my answer, just on uh, what I personally dealt with, with, with these dogs. And there, there's not a difference. Once you get them here, uh, since I've had them as a baby or I brought our, already an adult uh, Airedale already to them, um, mm. they might do be a little growly at first because they're they're kind of just smelling each other, trying to figure each other out and like, oh, sure. what's this furry creature doing here and stuff. But uh, the dynamic with the hounds, the Airedales, I think they're, they mesh actually really well together. I haven't had one where uh, it was a fight or anything like that. I mean, some dogs are just naturally grouchy. Uh, but, uh, the Airedales really, I haven't had, I haven't had a problem with them. I, I know I've heard some horror stories about, uh, some stuff going uh, sideways at trees or, or at, uh, with hogs and stuff like that with other dogs. But, uh, so far I haven't, I've had really, really good luck with this line of dogs that I've had and, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't had no problems and I, I really like them. That's really cool. Wow. That's really cool. So you do, you run bear and you run, um, it sounds like a lot of lions. Are you doing any kind of like bobcat, that kind of stuff as well? Or Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we, I hunt bears, lions, and bobcats. Not so much bobcats, just um, I should because there's quite a bit of bobcats here where we're at. Right, I just, right? uh, yeah, yeah I, it just the, the kind of uh, you're looking for lion tracks or whatever and, and the snow, and you're like, ah, maybe around the next turn, there's going to be a big tom track there. And you see these bobcat tracks like, uh, I get more thrill out of a lion, so you, know, <laughs> yeah, right. you always pass them up and stuff like that. <laughs> but that I should be sense. running more bobcats, but we we do, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's hard to, uh, yeah. I ha- I have it that way sometimes. I have it that way sometimes with, uh, yeah, mart like pine martin. We've got quite a bit of pine martin here, mm-hmm. and I mean they're they're cool. The dogs will definitely run them, but if I'm out looking for fox. Cause that's, that's sort of our bread and butter here is, um, okay. like the bear, the bear season is non-existent in Norway and over in Sweden, it's a quota based system. Okay. So each, you know, each district will get so and so many bears that they can harvest through, you know, in the course of a season. Um, right. but it's a fairly small number. So, you know, we're talking that. You know, there, there have been times where the season has been over in certain areas just because of how many people have been out there the second the season opens. You know, I remember two years ago, the season uh, ended, I think it was 18 hours and the season ended. Oh, wow. like that, that was it for the year. 
<laughs> yeah, that, um, that's, uh, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, that was a bummer. That was like I was like, all right, I'm getting ready. Wasn't gonna make it out the first day, but was gonna like was planning on hitting out like the following weekend. And I was just like, nope, right, it's over. And the the links is the same way here because we don't have bobcats and we don't have lions, but we have links. The big like the big Canadian. They're, they're not Canadian, but no, oh, yes, similar here. to the yeah, similar yeah. similar to them. Uh, and it's the same way. It's the quota system, you know. So. If you don't get on them real quick, you just may not get a chance. Um, so Fox yeah, exactly. Is our main, so our main deal, yeah, yeah. I, I can see see how that would want to kind of get it done right away, and so you don't have a not how you say uh, not be able to hunt him at all. Might as well get what the getting's good, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it's also it makes it a little bit difficult to train a dog specifically for that one thing. You know, um, right. Because you may only get, you know, a few hours a year of doing that. And, um, you know, so for, for me anyway, I, I like to have a dog that can do, you know, that, that's a little bit more versatile, can do, can do some different stuff. Um, right. you know, can, can, is happy to run Fox on, you know, cause the Fox season is, is long. There's no quota and it starts in July and goes until April. Oh well, that's 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 a pretty good uh, stretch right there. Yeah, and and like those airtail airtails, like you said about being versatile, um, you could put them uh, hunting bears and lions and probably bobcat. Like I said, they don't got much noses, but uh, um, we have cattle, and the, we'll go round up cattle and we'll take those airtails with us. And and they don't they're uh, they're a working dog, obviously, but they'll go and help you push cows. They don't know exactly what they're doing. They don't know what what you're asking them to do, but right. uh, they'll go out there and chase cows with you, and then. When you're hunting, they don't even bother. The cows will be walking by, or you're running a bear, or whatever, and they don't pay right. no attention, no cows. Oh wow, that's really interesting. So they're it sounds like they're really able to read you in a way that maybe I'm. I wonder sometimes whether hounds can't or whether they choose <laughs> they choose not to. But um, <laughs> right, yeah, those Airedales they, they they sound like they can really kind of pick up on, yeah, like what's Jesse doing today? Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you're you hit the nail on the head with that one. Like I said, it's like light switches go on and off in their heads, and they kind of read your 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 uh, your body language and stuff like that. And like I said, they're just great great companions. Uh, you go outside and sit on the deck, and they'll want to love on you, and you come inside, and they want to just hang out, and you go hunting, and they 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 aim to please you. Is what I like about. Airedales, just like mm. a hound, a hound will want to hunt to please you as well. But um, just like I said, they're just a little bit different similarities between a hound and an Airedale. Sure. For me personally, anyways. Yeah, no, for sure. Interesting. Hmm. That's really interesting. Are you hunting quite a bit off of horseback? You mentioned you mentioned uh, when you're out riding a little bit. Are you is is that a pretty effective way to hunt for you in the area that so, you're in? Yeah, yeah. So we have a lot of wilderness area that you don't have a lot of road access to, uh, mm. uh, especially behind my house. So uh, we have a lot of, of uh, trails and stuff like that, that a lot of people don't get back in there and hunt. I mean, for elk and deer, obviously, they go back in there and hunt. But for, for bears and lions, you, you kind of get off the beaten path a little bit. So we uh, we have some horses and mules, and we do quite a bit of hunting off, off horseback and mule back, I guess you'd say, uh, mm. with the dogs and the Airedales. And um I've noticed there's a big difference between um, roading dogs on a, or following a horse than actually roading dogs on a truck trying to rig a bear track or a line track. Uh, you get you actually get to see more of what dog does what and um, who's who's the alpha and stuff like that. You get to see a lot more of how the pack actually works when you're on hmm. horseback or on foot than when you're actually behind a vehicle. Interesting. Why is why do you think that is? Me personally, I think being that they're all kind of scattered out and you're kind of trying to keep track of what, what dogs wear, especially you have young dogs or whatever, you're kind of trying to be mindful over their ass so they don't go chase the off game. But I think you'll you'll get to see which dog has um, better striking abilities, mm. uh, more heart, more drive, and who's kind of laid back, kind of a me too pack dog or whatever. Mm. Well, as opposed to being rigging around in a truck, you have 
uh, four or five dogs on top of your truck and you're kind of watching the road. So you're really not paying attention to the every move as right. opposed to being on a horseback where you're actually watching everything the dog's doing and kind of seeing how I'll lick a rock to get more sand, lick a mm-hmm. branch to get more sand. You're rigging, you're just going down the road and waiting for a dog to bark. So it, right. it's, 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 you get to see a lot different side of hunting on horseback or on foot. Gotcha. Cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, I do most of my hunting on foot, which uh, it's it's kind of yeah tight forest here, so it's a little bit hard to get around on a on a mule. Otherwise, I I would I would absolutely have a mule. Um, <laughs> they're just uh, I love uh, I love horses and I love mules. But what do yeah, you they're, have? They're uh, definitely a lifesaver. They are. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the amount of. Uh, the amount of country you can cover while at the same time going at a pace where you're still picking up on the stuff that's going around you. And it's not like, it's not like, as you say, it's not like with a car where you're just kind of focused on the road. You're kind of picking up on everything as, right. as it's happening, which is, uh, which is yeah, ideal. I think, do you do, do you do some guiding and stuff like that for, since it sounds like you know that area pretty well, are you guiding elk hunters and deer hunters and things like that? I see you've got some solid mounts behind you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We go uh, uh, help people pack out deer and elk like that and stuff, and uh, help help uh, guide deer and elk hunts for mm-hmm. the most part off horseback. And uh, it's hard to take people on on horse just because you never know what happens. I mean, you can say you have a bomb proof animal, but animals are animals. They'll 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 do something they're not supposed to at an unopportunity opportunistic moment and. Oh, it's, it's just hard, but yeah, we do quite a bit of packing out, uh, packing out service and stuff like that. On sure. Horseback. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Wow. Wow. Are, is the, is there a lot of public land around or is it mostly public land or is it national park? What, what, are, what, are, what is it? So, so New Mexico has a lot of national forests, BLM land grant, and then a uh, private property, but, um, a lot, a lot of New Mexico is of uh, national forest. A lot of national forest and BLM, and so uh, we're very blessed here in New Mexico that we can go pretty much anywhere and, and go hunt as long as the season's open and stuff like that. I mean, there's some areas where it's uh, closed roads and stuff like that where you can't get there just on foot or horseback and stuff like that, or or mm. landlocked and stuff like that in general. But we have a we have a lot a lot of uh, national forest. Hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. Oh, that's interesting, man. That's a part of the world that I have not been, I've not spent nearly enough time in. It's just, it's just, yeah, breathtaking in a sort of a, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a similar way. It's to like high mountain terrain, you know, here, here in Norway, but it's, I mean, at the same time, it's just like, it's, yeah. It just seems like it requires its its own skill set. I've got a friend. I've got a friend from um, Australia who lived here for in Norway for a couple of years uh, before moving back to Australia. And um, you know he was he's military, super capable dude. Um, mm-hmm. And just the the snow and the cold here. It, you know, even for a super capable guy like him, it took a little bit of time for him to get used to it. It took a little bit of time for him to sort of be effective, effectively able to do, you know, to hunt and move and function in that kind of, um, that kind of an environment. I imagine, I imagine it must be the same, you know, I I can only imagine that I'd be a little bit in that same boat if I was, you know, to come out there and go hunting with you guys and just be like insane, insane adjustment period for me of just like, figuring out how to function in a place where, you know, here I, I can't walk, you know, I, if I walk 20 minutes in one direction, I'm going to find water. It doesn't matter which direction I go in. Like there's water everywhere here, which. Right. Um, it doesn't sound like that's the case there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is, there's a lot of streams and rivers and stuff like that, but we don't got quite as much like that. You'll, you'll go through a patch where you'll go without water for for a good while, and then you'll mm. come across a stream or a creek or something like that. But uh, yeah, I've I've hunted all over the United States, east and west, and uh, 
it, 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 t- it takes a lot of acclimation for, for a hound or, or, or even a human being to get acclimated to everywhere you go to. It takes a little bit for, for altitude, whether it's the bugs, whether it's the terrain and stuff like that. So there's a lot, it takes a lot of different aspects just to get acclimated to each area. Sure. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you had hounds from um, kind of all over the place. You had some from, you know, even even East Coast. Um, you know, how did those how did those guys function when they when they came out to you? Was there was there a solid adjustment period for them as well? Just kind of figuring out what you were doing and how to function in that kind of climate and terrain? So the, there's a little bit of a learning curve, like I said, just anywhere you go with any dog in general. But the East Coast dogs get pretty acclimated to uh, to the surroundings here pretty pretty quick. Uh, it it's a little bit more drier, so they, if if you get a colder nosed dog from there, it's it's going to be a little bit different nose wise from here. But mm. uh, usually in a winkle you'll get them pretty much acclimated to their surroundings like in a week if you're if you hunt them three four days and they'll get acclimated to it but it's just a little bit of learning curve not not a whole lot that's really interesting wow that's really interesting so uh you and your brother still uh are are still running hounds together they you said he was was it him doing most of the breeding or are you doing some breeding as well uh, he does, mo- I, I breed some too, but he's a, he calls a lot harder than I do. He's a, he's a, I guess you could say a better houndsman than me. I guess he, he's, a, he's a, he knows exactly what he wants and he ain't going to take no less. And if a dog doesn't meet what he wants, he's going to, uh, not breed to it or whatever. And I, I like kind of get, give a little bit more chances than I should, but, uh, between me and him, uh, I'd say he would be a better, uh, better houndsman, but we, we do quite a lot of hunting, uh, hunting together and, and breeding. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. Of the, of the different breeds, what are the different breeds that you have? You mentioned red bone. Um, so we have, we have blue ticks, we have walkers, uh, we have a crossed up blue English. Uh, we have, uh, Shoots, I think one of them that came from Utah probably has red tick, blue tick, walker, just mm. anything that probably worked at the time. And they've been breeding it for quite a while. So mm. it's just a bunch of great stuff, really. There's not really anything in particular. Like uh, my dad used to be a purist when it came to the plots. He, mm-hmm. he he took a lot of pride in those plots and he liked to keep it straight paper to paper. And that was it. Sure, sure. Do you find that with the, with the mixed pack, are there... If you feel like if you look at your pack and you're like, okay, right now we need a little bit of this ingredient, are are you able to sort of pinpoint which breeds are going to bring in those ingredients, or is it just kind of trying to find the right dog, kind of regardless of breed? Are you are you building, you know, if if you wanted some a specific aspect, would you then be like, okay, well then we need to bring in a blue tick or Okay, well then we need to bring in a red bone. You know, is how 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 does that work? So, so I I've been around a lot of uh, dog breeders and some really good dog breeders um, from old guys and new guys and stuff like that. And um, I I met um, Everett Weems, the uh, the famous plot man, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and um, I knew him really well. And uh, he uh, he always t- talked to my dad about breeding and. Um, he he mentioned to us one time about breeding uh, how he bred his dogs and he kind of pretty much summed it up in a jar of marbles he said if you put red white and blue in a jar and red white and blue in a jar and you put the two jars together and you shake it all up what do you get red white and blue and you get a jar of red white and blue pink purple yeah you mix it up you don't know what you're gonna get so he basically in a nutshell what he was trying to say if you breed good to good or, or the qualities you're looking for you're gonna get it but i don't think Per se, one dog breed that you're going to breed it to is going to get exactly what you want. I think it's just based on preference, um, kind of what exactly the handler's looking for. Because you could get one in the train dog or the running dog. If you want a little bit more speed, you breed a little bit of the running dog to your dog or mm-hmm. nose and vice versa. But uh, it's kind of real hard to pinpoint exactly what dog you go, your what line you want to get to. I I, I think it just sure good to good or, or what you're looking for necessarily. Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
Wow. No, that's, in, that's interesting. That is really interesting. What, um, um, your dad bred these plots for, for a while. He was, he was in them for quite a while. Yeah. 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 What line, I mean, did he have a kennel? What, what line of plot was that? So he bred the Weems, the, the Weems mm. bloodline. And they, uh, we had quite a few that came directly from, uh, Mr. Everett Weems himself. Mm. And uh, he got a couple of dogs from um, David Gerber, Terry Maley, uh, Kevin Hall, Darius Martin, mm-hmm. uh, John Banks. Uh, he had a couple from uh, an old boy. I forget his name. Um, uh, I forget his name. Uh, my mind just drew a blank, but those are some pretty uh, – I'll tell you what, those are probably some of the meanest plots that I had seen around, but those weems <laughs> did really good, and he bred those weems fairly tight, and a lot of uh, weems and Salmon River stuff, and we had really, really good success with that with that line there. Um, then it started getting kind of watered down throughout the years and mm. stuff, and it just kind of got harder to find people that kept their lines straight and stuff like that, and sure. just kind of went away from what we were looking for, and it, it we... We kind of got greedy breeding the dogs and we're letting nobody have them. And we kind of got really too close to our breed. So mm. we weren't able to breed a little bit after that. So I think that's kind of where it kind of fell apart for the plots. And we kind of learned from our mistakes after that. Sure, sure, sure. That that makes sense. And it's, you know, that, that that's a challenge when you're breeding pure purebred dogs. You know, it's, it's always going to be the challenge, especially when you're breeding, you know, purebred uh, performance, you know, working dogs. It, because right. not only are you just breeding, you know, based off of, you know, looks and a type and a breed, but you're also based, breeding based off of performance, which is going to mean that, you know, naturally, you know, it's it's just another thing that may remove a dog from your from your your breeding program, and right, you know, in some ways, it just it's so much easier uh, if you're just breeding for, you know just to have purebreds or just breeding just for, for performance, which is what I did for yeah, 20 years. Um, or not quite 20 years, 15 years with, um, right. uh, the Alaskan Huskies is, you know, that that's a mixed breed dog. It's like, it's, it's the equivalent of saying a hound, you know, there's like a bunch of different hounds, but it, you know, the Alaskan Huskies are, they're, they're a mixed breed. And I was breeding purely off of, you know, just like you're talking about, purely off of the breeding individuals that I liked that were doing what I wanted them to do the way I wanted them to do it. Um, and, and building up my team or my pack um, that way. And it, um, you know, you've, you've seen both things, you know, you've, you've seen the, the, the plots and that purebred mentality and, and, and the challenges of you know, breeding, maintaining a line over a longer, long period of time. Um, is it a little bit easier to maintain a, a solid pack uh, without being kind of bogged down or shackled to a single breed? I personally think it is. Um, but it's just, I guess, based on location as well. I know like in the East Coast, the West Coast, um, you have a lot more people that run a certain line of dogs over there. And kind of here in the West, you, you kind of have just a bunch of great dogs. So it's hard, harder for for us in general, I'm speaking for myself, uh, to go keep that pure line just because you have to go out, travel a, a fair distance just to get the good blood that you're looking for, that you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to just uh, having good dogs, a good dog, and, and breeding that way instead of trying to keep it pure. So I think it just uh, it's a little bit harder if you don't have the means to travel or that's really far or don't have a, I guess the means you could say to mm-hmm. get there to to breed the dog. Sure. And if you're kind of tied up and stuff like that, work it's just a lot easier just to be a great dog breeder. And I hunted with the pure purest of the peers of the plots. And I've hunted with a mutts of the mutts, great dogs. And, and they both treat a lot of game. They both yep. did great. Um, how my dad said papers don't, uh, don't catch you bear the lines, but he liked papers. 
So I, I kind of work with that one too. So it's yeah. to me, it's just based on preference really. Sure. Sure. That, I mean, that makes sense to me. And you know, it's, um, I've got, I've got both. I've got three purebreds now and then a, uh, a mixed breed hound. Um, the mixed breed right. hound was when he was younger was the best of any of my hounds that, apart from apart from probably the plot the plots he's he's real good um or yeah the my first plot was real good right but um you know the the best the best hounds like it just in terms of putting game you know just i don't know what you would call meat meat hounds you know they're just they're right yeah yeah the best ones I've seen and the best ones I've hunted, the t- if I had to make a list of top, the top five, yeah, say top 10 uh, hounds that I've hunted over, only two of them in that top 10 list would be uh, purebred. Right. Um, and it's not a criticism of the purebred. It's just that it seems like it just seems to be easier to achieve a very high functioning animal if you don't have to work if you can breed the best individuals to the best individuals without necessarily needing to worry about well you know are, are these the same breed right exactly i th- i think you're absolutely right there um like i said those plots were some jam up bear dogs they were they were amazing they they caught a lot of bears and mm. they had a lot of grit and heart and drive but uh, the gray dogs, like I said, it, it's just a lot easier to get a hold of them and breed them and stuff like that than it mm-hmm. is the purest, purebred kind. And it, like I said, it's just probably people on the East Coast just being that there's a lot more hunting and stuff like that. And they have the purebreds and stuff like that. It's easier probably to, for them to breed and stuff like that. But I, they all I, they all catch the same. Right. It is easier, though, to... Um... I feel like it is easier to hunt on the East coast. You know, you don't have, you've got better scenting conditions. You don't have that real dry, um, you know, that where the dogs really have to really have to grind out tracks like that. You know, that that's not as common on the East coast as it would be, right? you know, in like your neck of the woods. And I, I sometimes wonder whether, and I, I mean, I've seen it too. Um, some extremely good dogs from that perform very well in one area uh, can come to a different area and, and suddenly be missing some tools or missing some sort of natural ish things that they're going to need to have to grind out, uh, you know, to, to, to grind in the way that you guys are going to grind. Right. Yeah. Um, th- that's true. Uh, Cause I've hunted in, um, I've hunted out there on the East Coast, and their laurel, laurel thickets are just insane to get through. So they are so bad. <laughs> it, it, it's just different challenges, and I've hunted up in uh, up in Wisconsin, and the swamps and stuff like that are insane. Um, it took every bit of a two weeks for our, our dogs when we had those plots to get acclimated to swimming through swamps, running through so much water. Before we caught a bear, it took us a, a good solid week before they kind of got acclimated to it. Mm. And then just like in, in uh, Utah, they have a lot of uh, boulder piles and cliffs and stuff like mm. that. So each place has its individual challenges that uh, a dog has to learn how to 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 get good at it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I know on the East Coast, their laurel thickets and their mounds are steep and stuff like that. One wrong turn and you can lose a bear like that and a dog just needs to learn how to how to navigate all that stuff. And just like out here in New Mexico, uh, we don't have real thick stuff, but it's dry, it's steep, there's mm. rocks, there's rivers, and they got to get acclimated to all that. Like I said, just challenges present themselves everywhere you hunt, and it just takes a dog a certain amount of time to get acclimated to where they're at. Sure, yeah, that makes, you know, that's, that's the truth for sure. Yeah, that's the truth. Every... 
it's I guess we would all have the same dog if there was one one dog that was better than everything else at everything. You know. <laughs> right. So what uh what kind of what size do you like? Uh you know, what size of dog are you running? Or is, you know, I've I've t- talked to a bunch of different people and it seems like everybody I talk to has a difference of opinion. You know, I've got I talked to Becky who's got these half you know, half and quarter beagles that, you know, so they're, they're real small. And then I'll talk to a guy like, you know, Eric Partolo, whose dogs are pushing, you know, gosh, they've got to be, I mean, Hank's got to be pushing 90 pounds. And oh, wow, that's a big dog. Yeah. Real big. I mean, super tall, super lanky, you know, really beautiful. I mean, just beautifully put together. Um, but you know, very big dog. Um, you know, where, where do you fall in that sort of spectrum? So again, it's just preference really, but I'm more of like a medium size, a medium built type of dog. I like nice tight cat feet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like real big dogs just cause I never really had good luck with them. They, they didn't, weren't, uh, they wouldn't hold up as well. Their, their, their feet would go kind of quick. They'd get a little bit more sore than they would. And mm-hmm. little dogs that, I mean, they have challenges crossing rivers, big logs and stuff like that. So, I mean, they're just a heart in the dog really basically, but I, I, I personally like a, a medium build dog, just not too small and not too big and good, nice tight feet. Sure. And sure. I think pretty much good feet and bad feet and from big to small, but that just me. What I like is it's just a medium build dog. Yeah. Okay. So like 50, 55 pounds for males somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. Like and then, yeah. My Airedale's probably pushing about sixty-five. He's he's a big boy. Mm. He's real big, uh, but uh, he holds up really good. He he kind of has one issue with one of his front front paws that he gets sore a little bit. I think mm. it's just more a nail issue more than a- anything. But mm. uh, he, they they hold up pretty good. They hold up okay. real good. Cool. That's really interesting because yeah, the um, there's been a debate for, I mean, it goes back and forth and it's been a debate in the dog mushing community for years, but whether, you know, it's better to have a dog with a longer stride that's going to cover more distance with with each stride or whether it's better to have a smaller dog that's going to use less energy, you know, taking two strides than the big one would taking one. Um, Right. And it's gone back and forth quite a bit. And I, you know, I ended up a little bit on the, with the Huskies, I ended up on the bigger side of the, of the spectrum. You know, I had, I had some real small ones there for a while and just was not, you know, was struggling a little bit in the deep snow and it was just not what I was looking for and ended up breeding some bigger dogs and, you know, got up into that sort of 60, 60, 65 pound range and was, was, was real happy there. But, um, you know, it's, it's different too, because, you know, the, the Huskies, they're going to be running on a trail. They're maybe breaking trail, but it's very controlled. They're not doing, they're not really struggling to keep their balance. They're not making sharp turns. They're not sort of, you know, you know, juking, you know, they're just, they're just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. Whereas the hounds that, you know, they need to have that ability to, you know, throw their weight around a little bit and zigzag, run, stop all that good stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And especially when they catch whatever, you know, whatever they're after, you know, just the ability to get the heck out of the way if, uh, right. Yeah. Thing decides to turn on them. But so you, um, you grew up hunting a lot of bear and you still hunt bear. Uh, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like if you had to choose, you know, use that old, the, uh, was that question that, um, was his name? Bruce. Um, he did all those great interviews with those old cat hunters. Bruce Campbell, maybe. It sounds familiar, but I'm not going He would always ask if you could choose between running lion and running bear, which would you choose? Um, I like an action-packed hunt, so that would definitely be bear because you get to hear a freight train going down a hillside or whatever. And in a lion, it's more slow-paced, grinding Mm. out, unless you get on a fresh lion track or whatever. But how I tell everybody, because I, I get this question a lot too, what, what do you prefer, running bears or lions? I still prefer running lions uh, just because they're just a majestic creature. I mm. I caught a lot of bears and a lot of lions in my career, and I probably remember every almost every lion I've ever caught. 
And bears, you just remember the cool ones, the, the most memorable ones. But lions, it's just, they're just such an amazing animal to look at and, and to admire that you never, because you never hardly see them without right. dogs. So right. it, it just, it's, I just like to look at lions really, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. That, I, I get that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. There's something about the, uh, There's enough of them. To, there's enough of them to make it worth doing, but there's not so many that it's you take them for granted. It's not like you know, right? Fox, where it's like, you know, you can throw a stick, and most of the time you're probably going to hit one. Hit you one. Know, it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's it is for bears. I mean, you could go up and down the road and see a bear. Not every time you go out, but you see them a lot more often. Mm. in their natural habitat and a lion they're, they're you i'm pretty sure you'll stumble across them and they're watching you but you hardly rarely see them right without having dogs so i think that's why i just like prefer running prefer hunting lions but mm. uh, it's just i do love i do love a good race though and uh, hearing <laughs> dogs that makes sense yeah i like it, it that makes sense when the bears tree are they going up into the cliffs or are they you know what a what what are the trees that you've got out there? Are you are they treeing up? In? So we we got we got we got a lot of different trees. So we have pines, cedars, uh, yeah. uh, aspens, junipers. So we got a lot of stuff. But mainly where we hunt, it's in the high country. So we got a lot of pine and um, and aspens. But mainly, almost I want to say eighty percent of the time, uh, they're going to be in a pine tree that lions included it just depends if you're hunting in the low country and there's cedars and junipers but primarily where we hunt there's a lot of predominantly a a a lot of pine so that mainly that's what we catch by is pine trees okay interesting yeah it's the uh it seems like that is the case (sighs) quite a few places there's some seems like i don't know whether it's that they can really just kind of get their claws into the pine or or what it is but it seems like pines real a real popular place to hide yeah it, it must be real popular because I, I i think i can only i've i've seen people on facebook catch bears or lions and aspen trees but it's not very often mm. i mean that i've seen anyways and i personally haven't caught that many in, in uh, aspen trees uh i could probably count on both hands that i've caught bears or lions and aspen trees and they're few and far in between mm. but like i said uh, I don't know why, if it's just maybe they climb a lot easier in a pine tree or what, I don't know. But yeah, yeah pine tree is their, their tree of choice. Right. Interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. Do you have a lot of, uh, when you're going out, uh, when you're looking for specifically lion, are you trying to cut tracks? Are you going to like ranch predation sites, play things like that? Like, how are you, you know, what? What does a typical lion hunt look like for you guys? So typical lion hunt, you could either hunt on horseback, ATV, or a vehicle. And a lot of people like going on the vehicle because it's a lot more comfortable, obviously, uh, climate controlled and stuff like that. Uh, right. So uh, just driving around roads and stuff like that, looking for a tom track or whatever. But uh, a lot of times you go on, on foot or on horseback and just kind of just free cast dogs and then and, and, try and uh, uh, cut a track or something like that, especially if you're uh, hunting in the dirt and stuff like that, kind of just trying to get ahead of the animal as quick as you can, really. Right. Or on a, on a good track, they say, I'm not really getting ahead of it, I'm trying to get on a good track and before it gets really too hot. And then the, in the wintertime, the the snow helps hold the scent a lot, lot better mm. so you can run a lot older track in the snow. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, that's really interesting that you're you're doing a lot of free casting. That's... That's a, I, I don't want to say it's a dying skill set, but I kind of want to say it's a dying skill set. It's like not a lot of people do that anymore. Like it's, I, I, it is hard for me to get, put it this way. It's hard for me to get people to come and hunt with me here. Right. Because they want to dump off. They want to dump right on the bait sites. They want to drive until they cut a track in the snow in the just in the snow you know they'll they won't hunt until the snow comes and which is strange to me because you know that's 
you're basically losing three months of the hunting season. Right. Um, but it seems like that's becoming less and less common to have a pack that's capable of of free casting. It's one of the reasons that I've enjoyed watching, uh, you know, talking to it and also watching the uh, um, George. Uh, gosh, I'm in the space on his last name, which is horrible. Lambert. Lambert. Mm-hmm. Um, he does the uh, Mountain Mules and Music yeah, YouTube okay. page. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, he's free casting all the time off of a mule. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just got a super solid pack of dogs. And I, I wonder if part of that is just when you have a, when you use the time to train them and set them up for free casting, I wonder if that actually does something with their ability to grind, um, versus a dog that's just going to either get dumped onto a bait pile or, um, just, yeah, rigged. I'm not sure. Right. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people get criticized for taking or me saying that taking a dog to a bait, it's, it's not, it's not, don't get me wrong. It's not cheating, but you're kind of leading the dog to a track already. Um, otherwise like free casting or rigging, you're, um, you're having the dogs having to look for themselves off baits is what I think you're, you're, you're not teaching a dog that, but you're kind of just taking them to where, where they're sent and, uh, free casting. Like I said, it, it's, they're having a hunt for what they're looking for. So they're constantly moving. And if you get to a lose when you're free casting, you kind of sit there and watch the dog and see exactly its mannerism, how its tail's whipping, how, how, how it's uh, bobbing its head and sniffing the rocks and stuff like that. You can kind of see a lot more, um, what the dog anticipate what the dog's going to do. And you either you kind of move the dog from where it's stuck at or let it sit there a little bit longer as opposed to rigging where you're just driving down a road and kind of just waiting for a good rig or at, or at a bait station where you just dump the dogs and you know, uh, there's been one there or there hasn't been one. So right. I, I think you probably build a little bit, little bit better dog free casting. I'm not, I'm not saying that just because I do it or anything like that. I, I just, there's just, from what I've seen over the years of doing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is, is, is that it's, you're giving them a, an extra tool yes. in their, in their toolbox. And I, I feel like that's gotta be, that can't be anything but, but positive, you know, ultimately. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like I said, I, I think they're, they're learning a lot more. Um, I think you're, you're both learning. Cause I, th- whoever says that they don't learn when they go out, they're full of it because every time I've been doing it 30 years now, and I still learn something new every day. Um, so I think you're, you're, you and your hounds are learning something, whether it's a bond between you guys or, mm-hmm. or the bond between the dogs themselves or whatever the case may be. I think you're still learning something that, uh, Every time you go out free casting, like I said, uh, rigging the dogs just on the box and some stick their head out of the holes. Some don't even like being in the box. Mm. And like I said, it's it just, it's, it, you're learning. There's a whole different thing that they're learning while they're out of free casting. Sure. 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 Do you prefer on foot or on horseback when you're free casting? I'm lazy. I, in my, uh, in my older age, I've got a little bit lazier and I don't like to walk on it if I don't have to, yeah. but I, pref- <laughs> I prefer walking just because you see a lot more when you're walking than you're on, when you're on an animal, you, yeah. you're, you're a little bit lower to the ground, obviously. Uh, so you get to see a track and uh, be able to distinguish if the bear or the lion's going the way the dogs are going, or if you got to turn them around, or, or, or you might notice a rock turned over that you normally wouldn't see mm. or something or another, but I, I prefer walking just like I said, I'm getting a little older my age and lazy. So I, I like to ride. Right. That's right. Mule or horse. So I have both and, uh, I, I know, uh, a mule 
You can't make a mule do anything that they don't want to do. It's going to never put you in a situation, a bad situation, should I say. They, they think three times before they make a step mm. in a horse. You could put a horse and coax it into doing something that's going to put you in a real bad spot. But I like both of them. I, I really enjoy riding both of them. Uh, it just takes a different hand or a, or a horseman or mule man or mule person, mule skin or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. to, to ride a mule because they're totally, totally different. Than, oh yeah, than a horse, definitely. Absolutely. What um, what are you what are you riding for horses? So I uh, pretty much a, a, a cord horse basically is what yep. we have, or or Arabian. We have cord horse and Arabian, okay. and then we have uh, uh, two mules, and then uh, I get yeah, they're just great. So they're cord horse Arabian mix, or we have two Arabians and the rest are cord horse mix. Cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, those are super. The quarter horses are just so solid. They're just, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're they're tough. They're 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 really good animals. They are. Yeah. Now I had. Uh, there's not a lot of them over here. There's. Uh, oh no. Yeah. Got. Um. There's a few of them, but most of what you've got over here are going to be, um, the European breeds. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of like, yeah, European thoroughbreds. Probably probably got a lot of draft horses and stuff like that. Yep, definitely some drafts. Yeah, and but not like the big ones, not like the Belgians and the and the Clydesdales, but like the the smaller ones, like the Irish Tinker type type. type Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the Fjord horses uh, come, you know, are a native breed here. Those weird ones with the mohawks and the black on the inside of their manes and stuff like that. Oh yes. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but even those guys have been bred more and more, you know, to be finer and finer boned more and more of a sort of dressage type of horse, which is too bad because they were a really, really nice draft animal, you know, 60 years ago. Right. You know, but, um, more than that probably, but, um, it's hard to find a good riding, like a good, trail riding horse because a a lot of the a lot of places that do trail riding here they'll do it with um those icelandic horses okay okay and they're these real small real small like you know could mistake them for shetland ponies sometimes they're they're real small (laughs) um gated gated horses and i mean they're really cool but you know i'm a I, I'm not an Icelandic horse sized guy, you know, I'm, it, right. it would, it would not be, it would be a bad day for the Icelandic horse that would need to haul my butt around <laughs> all, the, especially yeah, and, and as I, steep I, as it is. And I like a, a bigger, a bigger horse. Uh, I, ever since I was a kid, I liked, I always liked to have a big horse, hmm. but I said they're, they're making them anymore breeding on these days to, or they're just real streamlined and, and sure-footed and mm. good quality horses anymore being that the world's so popular and get point a to point b to get good breed and stuff like that and that's what you want a, a good quality mount uh, just like a dog you want probably the best you could possibly get with sure. what you have to not have any problems later on down the road because if you buy junk in in the horse world or in the dog world you're 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 better off just not doing it all because it's going to cost you a lot of money in the long run. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I totally agree with that. You're um, you get what you paid for. I've learned that the hard way over the years. And it's sometimes exactly right. You get what you pay for. And sometimes you want to be cheap and you make out and you get something good cheap, but that doesn't happen all the time. Oh, it, at least you got to have. Yeah. You've got to have more experience than I do to be able to, uh, at least in the hound and the horse world to be able to, you know, see when somebody's getting rid of something that you're going to be able to work with uh, right, for, right. For, che- for cheap. That's uh that's an unusual, unusual deal that you, uh, you make out on something like that. Right. Or be able to willingly be able to uh, take on a challenge, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're up for a project, most people can, you know, or not most people, but it's definitely possible to get some pretty rough, rough animals functioning. And make something out of them. Yeah. Pretty okay. But then you got to be up for the challenge. You got to be sort of 
go into it with your eyes open, your head up high and just be like aware that this is, you know, kind of embrace the suck, I guess. <laughs> just to get exactly. To that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesse, we've been uh, we've been going for over an hour here. I really appreciate you deciding to or you, you agreeing to come on. Um, I was really excited to talk to you about the 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 Airedales and your hounds and, you know, it, uh, the yeah, the terrain that you guys are running in. And and it's uh, you know, there's it's it's just kind of cool to it, you've experienced so many different aspects of of the hound you know the hound world to being second generation you know to having a purebred line of plots and you know going sort of branching out and doing something completely different and and uh it's, it's cool to hear your perspective on these things um you know how f- with that background of you know sort of the, the weight of experience um behind the opinion so i really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting to me for a little while no, thank you. And I, I appreciate the invitation to come on here um, and give me the opportunity to tell tell my side of the story. And like I said, I, I really appreciate the invitation and uh, I'd gladly do it anytime you want to chit chat about dogs or, or horses or whatever the case may be. Uh, I'm always up up to have a conversation. Off, Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. Is there uh, anything else you want to uh, you want to talk about or say before we uh, call it an evening? Oh, not off the top of my head, man. I think we covered a lot of good stuff, and I'm we pretty did. sure if we want to talk about something else, we'll, we'll have a lot more to discuss at a later date. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, I really appreciate it, Jesse, and I hope, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep uh, we'll keep in touch after this anyway. And this, um, I think this will this episode will probably air in the next within the next month. I think they're doing Perfect. some. Uh, the W guys are doing quite a bit of um, uh, yeah product related um, podcasts. Oh yes, yes, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. So um, they're uh, th- those things are taking priority for. They're quite busy. They're busy. Oh man, they're they're super busy. Yeah. Jason just bought. Um, Jason and his wife uh, just bought Full Cry. The magazine. Oh, well. That's yeah. pretty neat. That's that's pretty neat. Oh, so cool! Because you know they they announced that Full Cry was gonna was was done. They were they were closing their doors. They were gonna close up shop. Yeah, and now it's uh, getting taken over by some super dedicated, uh, super dedicated people who you know actually have the uh, you know the the you know the what what do you call it? I don't know wherewithal to put their money where their mouth is and and right I, exactly super exactly. excited to see what this turns into yeah they're they're great people so i think they're gonna do great with full cry there they're they're awesome people and uh buddy as well so yeah uh, best best of luck to them yeah like absolutely i absolutely so all right my friend i really appreciate it i hope uh all right bear well great chatting with you till next time sounds good all right Bye-bye. You take care. Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>